Oh, like on Seinfeld when there's Coco the monkey, there's a whole plot point there too. Just there's a monkey on Friends too. It's also a monkey and Aladdin, and Aladdin probably knows Mulan. They probably know each other. <laughs> When they're at the company banquets and stuff yeah, like the that. the company Christmas party. Wait, are they having crab for dinner or lobster for dinner? And the guy's like, did you get this under DC? He gets all mad at Sebastian's just in the paella. Oh, that's weird. No. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to S1E1, the show where each week we pick a different sitcom, watch just the first televised episode, and forgetting anything we might know about the future run of that show, rate it and decide if it's a show we want to greenlight or cancel. This week we're going to be talking about The Single Guy. The Single Guy went 43 episodes over two seasons on NBC. Today we're talking about episode one, which was called Pilot, originally airing September 21st, 1995. So to get things started, I'm Jay Gags. With me, as always, most of the boys... Joe, Nick, Ferg, no Gordo this week. What's going on, guys? Hey, oh. Yo. Senator, keep your damn champagne. I'm from New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I had that. I liked your face when you did that. (laughs) It's so hard to do a snort without making a snort face. It made me think of the pig man from Troma's War. (laughs) As most listening would, I assume. I imagine. And uh, before we even go any further, I just want to remind everyone, go to s1e1pod.com. That's where you can find all the links where you can listen to us, where to follow us on social media. S1e1pod. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter if you haven't. Um, we've said this before. I don't, it seems like our listener base is, is doing great, but our our uh, social medias don't quite add up sometimes. So we just want you guys to follow us over there. It's a good way to uh, interact with us if you want to talk to us. It's also great if you want to know what shows we're covering before we release them because we announce it on Instagram ahead of time. Give us a follow. You also see clips from these episodes and everything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and this week we're covering Seinfeld. Oh, wait. No, we're not. Sorry. Sign Friends. Sign Friends. Yeah. Mad about Sign Friends, I think is what <laughs> we should call this episode. This is such an amalgamation of every New York sitcom that happened in, this, in the 1990s. It is pretty fucking wild. And I will say, I love everybody on this. Like, everybody in this, the cast is stacked. Ernest fucking Borgnine is in this fucking show. Oh, you mean Ted Dinslow? (laughs) This is... I masturbate. I'm too sexy for this shirt. (laughs) Patron saint Ernest Borgnine. All I can think of is a long time ago, a friend of mine, my friend Kelly, said she wanted to make a New York shirt that said, I, meh, New York. But just how I've always felt about it. Like, I don't get the hate, but I don't love New York either. This show to me is like a... I man, New York sitcom. Yeah. It also had the voice of Mulan in it. It's true. She also had some much better stuff than being the voice of Mulan. Much better stuff than being Mulan? Get out. She's Chun-Li in Street Fighter. How dare you say that's worse than Mulan? Wait, what? Yes. It's way worse than Mulan. It's okay, Ferg. We can all go home. Oh, I hate you. So the thing with a lot of these New York shows, it's... I don't know why it became such a thing that every like show where someone was like single in their 30s had to live in New York. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, it is. But and could afford it. Yes, that too. I don't know. I guess I'm so used to seeing it that that's just TV world for me now. And it's not even the actual New York City. So I, it's like I disassociate it in that way. And it's just like this fake land. At least Silverman in this, though, lives in like 
a kind of shitty apartment. Yeah, it's. Uh, I meant to bring that up. He has a doorman building, but it's not like the nicest apartment in the world, whatever. Like, if you look at any of the apartments from Friends or any of the apartments from Seinfeld or the apartment from Mad About You, just because those three shows are like the clear points, yeah, right? It'd be like $2 million apartment today. Like. Yeah. This one is still like a four grand a month apartment, but. Yeah. Just a little cramped. It, 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 yeah, it was, it was. I thought it was nice. It was just not as big as maybe some of those other shows. I mean, he had that tiny TV, so it's established he's poor. Well, he's like a writer, right? Like, But he's also a good enough writer that he's supposed to be going overseas to do a book signing. So he's like well, a big enough... Well, he thought he was going overseas. He thought he was going to, but the plan was, right? So, I mean, so obviously he wrote something that's making some money, but also being an author is, you know, one of those notoriously high-paying jobs that's out there. Did you see that this show was slotted in its original release? It aired between Friends and Seinfeld. So it had like the mother of like landing spots to, to you know, get attention, which is probably why. So it had middle child syndrome. No, it was just, but you get the spillover content because people watch Friends, then this is on and they just leave it on until Seinfeld or whatever. So I think for that reason, it was said that this was one of the most like highly rated shows to be canceled ever. But they think that a lot of that was due to time slot. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't hate this show by any means, but those numbers are indicative of people when there was a lot less channels watching Friends and Seinfeld. Yes. And we come from an era, like that era is gone, right? Where they used to used to watch the lead in to the show you wanted to see because you didn't want to miss the show that you wanted to see, right? Because maybe you'd catch it again in the summer, right? Like, Placement of where you put your shows had to be a lot more strategic. Whereas now, like some people watch stuff live during prime time, but you know, like we DVR everything. It's just so even if I'm watching TV at that time frame, I'd rather just kind of watch the DVR stuff I have so I can skip the commercials and then get to whatever's on later on. Nothing has made me more angry than the stuff that keeps getting pulled from Hulu and then moved to Peacock because like SNL or something, right? Where like, if you want to fast forward, you still can. Like I just fast forward through all the musical guests because I don't know who they are and I don't care. But like, so you get a commercial right before it and you fast forward through it and then you get another commercial because you fast forwarded. Yeah. Whereas like Hulu, you could just breeze through stuff. I, uh, I don't, I don't watch two of my all time favorite shows. Unsurprisingly, the very popular shows are Parks and Rec and The Office. I have not watched an episode really. Uh, the the Office, I did try a few of the extended episodes, the fan pick ones, whatever they are. But I, I, I can't do it. I just can't. I spent so long watching those shows with no commercials whatsoever on Netflix. And to have any interruption at all completely ruins the, like, watchability of it. I can't do it. And not to constantly bring him up, like we just talked about for five minutes earlier before this, but, like, it's Frank Thomas syndrome. You also <laughs> get the same fucking commercials yeah. over they and over again. They somehow managed to make commercials more annoying. Yeah, I'd rather get... Remember when commercials used to be fun? You get Billy Mays talking about <laughs> some sort of weird product, <laughs> and then you get a TV commercial, and then you get something about soap, and then you're back in. Didn't bother yeah. me. Now it's a fucking nightmare. Is there... Like, a, I know there's different tiers for Peacock. Can you get, a, like, a no commercial at all version? Only their highest tier. If, so you can pay and you still get commercials. Yeah. It's bullshit. But I'll say this. They, they, theirs isn't that bad. They usually hit you with one long one at the beginning and I think one other in the middle. Where other ones, it's like every five minutes. Like, Hulu, yeah. I can't stand their commercials. Hulu, yeah, I pay for Hulu 
just so I don't have the the commercials are oppressive on Hulu. Hulu, if you're gonna pay for one, I would say pay for Hulu because Hulu pulls in so many TV shows from so many different networks. Basically, yeah. everybody except for NBC. The problem for me is I acknowledge that and I'm tempted, but I have a I have Hulu for free because it was a promotional thing for having Spotify, and I'm locked into this like free Hulu account, so I don't want to ruin that and pay just to get rid of the commercials at this point. Yeah. Now, do you have a paid Spotify with no commercials? Yeah, I've I've been paying for Spotify for ever whenever i'm in somebody's car or with somebody and they're listening to like pandora or spotify with commercials i'm like are you a fucking psycho yeah that's like a tv show can be disrupted because it's made for cuts but music cutting to commercials always throws me off plus it just like ruins the vibe you know if you're listening to an album and like after track three you get like some random 40 second commercial that i can't skip past it's (laughs) it's awful and also, too, speaking of podcasts, right, I'm not going to name the podcast, but a podcast I listen to a lot that's a very popular podcast, so they have a billion ad reads that have to be inserted into it. That's usually about three or four hours an episode. It's Alpha very, Brain. What is it? Alpha Brain, I assume. Yeah, yeah. MeUndies. It's always that stuff, right? But because they are putting out a bunch of bonus content for Christmas, in their contract, it's like, oh, well, your episodes are X amount of times, so you have to have X amount of commercials in them. But when they put out a 40-minute episode, it's like, hey, we're just checking in for Christmas, you have the same amount of commercials that's okay because one day when we have to do that our fans are gonna love it they goddamn better because we need some goddamn money over here yeah listen to all potential sponsors we're not knocking the idea of commercials we are willing (laughs) to sell your stuff on our show omaha steaks if we ever put out a 40 minute episode i'd be fine with it but god damn it we never will because we need to watch a show like the single guy which was thank fucking satan only 21 minutes long after last week's 28 episode a 28 minute episode but we'll still talk about this for two plus hours yeah and there's nothing here there's nothing you know what's waiting for those of you guys have been listening for a while or have caught us kind of in the middle and then have listened to old episodes our old episodes were so short and i don't even know how we did it anymore i don't know how we go back there's no going back. We've gotten too analytical. We've gotten too tangenty. I feel like it wouldn't be as fun, the condensed version anymore. Like, we couldn't even... I don't know. We wouldn't be us. We found our groove eventually. and It'd be so weird to just, just do the meat and potatoes and get out. Someday somebody will do a shorties watching shorties version of our podcast where they just do the... <laughs> uh, they just do, like, the funny stories. Maybe we can get a Bobcat Goldthwait puppet in there. Yeah. Speaking of which, Jay, Gordo's not here this week. How's your Bobcat Goldthwait impersonation coming? You know, I, I was... It. I was going to do it this week, but Gordo's not here. And you I, should I do it. Feel. You should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Gordo. I will say, though, to our fans, not to give a spoiler alert, but Jay's impression better get real good real quick because it's a coming. Yeah, they found a loophole. Not a loophole. We it's not a loophole. Own, have to eat your own words because you thought there wasn't any other Bobcat Gold. I was lied to. You guys said that there wasn't one. So. After two years of me pitching us just doing a bonus episode where we do all of Police Academy 2, now we found a way <laughs> to make it work. I guess we should actually start talking about the single guy a little bit. But I, I before that, I should say this was my pick. The only reason I picked it is because I remember watching it during its original run. I didn't really remember anything about the show. But I remember really liking it. I I remember thinking like Jonathan Silverman was really cool <laughs> in the mid nineties. I don't know what it was about him, but I, I really liked I thought he was just I don't know. You remember in Friends when Russ comes and it's just he's paid by David Schwimmer, but it's like a boyfriend of Rachel's. His name is Russ, and they just put like a prosthetic nose on Ross and he played the character and uh she was like, oh, I don't see it. But I feel like they could have got Jonathan Silverman to be Russ because he is essentially Ross. No, I thought he was. I thought actually, if you're going to make any comparison, Chandler, 
a little more Chandler. I could see like the amalgamation of the two of them together, but visually, I'm saying Ross. The character of Ross does show up on an episode of The Single Guy. Yeah, David Swimmer is on The Single Guy as Ross. At the dinner scene, he's very Chandler. I'll say that. Yeah, he kind of comes in and out. I don't see much Seinfeld. Oh, God, Seinfeld's all over this to me. I mean, for, I mean, I don't see him as being Jerry Seinfeld. So you guys said that privately before we recorded, and it was before I got to watch the episode. So I went in with that like seed planted in my head, so I felt like in the beginning of the episode, I was like looking for that, and at first I was kind of seeing the comparisons, but then I was like, no, I'm just looking for it, and I think that was a big thing. The, I would say the biggest um, comparison I would draw from the two is I could see George and Sam being very similar. Yes, neurotic friend. Yeah, that tracks. But the the thing that killed me the most is when I heard Olivia Diablo laugh and she has like the pig snort, that is like literally a subplot of an entire Seinfeld episode. That's part of the Bubble Boy episode where Jerry can't date the girl because he doesn't like her laugh. And he's like, I'm a comedian. I can't date a girl. I don't like her laugh. Right, so like <laughs> that was, and that was three years before this. And this is the lead in show to Seinfeld. That felt a little too close to me. Okay, fair. I was I was double I was cross referencing when that episode came out. It was ninety two. Moors and moops. I think it was just like a maybe a character choice when she was probably instructed to be annoying as she tells the story and thought maybe that was like a little. It wasn't like a plot point. You know what I mean? She like snorted once. But we'll talk about that. She's my favorite person to pop up in this episode too because she's in a show that we can't do, but we all grew up with Wonder Years, right? So that's why can't a we huge do touch it? point? Not a sitcom, but we can't do it. But she's in so much stuff that I was love. She's in. Have you ever seen Bolero? No. Which is like the Bo Derek movie from like maybe 89. She's in that. Uh, she's also uh, Garth's girlfriend who looks like Garth in Wayne's World 2. Oh, no shit. Yeah, she's like in so much stuff that's so fun. She's also, I mean, for anybody, I'm sure there's somebody out here listening who's a Law and Order criminal intent head because it's my favorite of all Law and Orders. But she's Vincent D'Onofrio's like arch enemy for like seven seasons straight. Like she always pops back in and tries to kill his mom and shit in uh, criminal intent. So I love her. I was really happy to see her pop in this. Now that I know that she's from Wayne's World 2, like I like her so much more. <laughs> like, like You can I, just see her eating Red Rep Licorice with Dana Carvey right yeah. now. So, to get into the actual episode, though, you know, I'm sorry. Twice I've said, let's get into the episode, and then I don't get into the episode, because I want to ask, do you guys remember the show at all? Did you watch it? I remember Jonathan Silverman, like, in this role, but I, the other characters completely escaped me. I didn't recognize them I remember it existing. I never yeah. watched it. Yeah, I remember at this time, I was watching Seinfeld new, because my parents watched it, right? So you're 10 years old, and you're watching what they're watching, right? We didn't have, like, an abundance of TVs or anything. Right. And I loved Seinfeld, so I'm sure I must have caught, like, the last 10 minutes of this at least a few times. And I, but I mainly, when I see Jonathan Silverman, I just think Weekend at Bernie's, I don't, like, I can't, and I'm sorry, I'm sure he hates hearing that, but, like, I can't not differentiate the two. And then we've talked before, like, when I went to the Oakland A's game, and they all do the Bernie dance. So, like, it seems like it's always being brought up in my head. I believe he's in the new, the recent vacation movie, too, isn't he? The one with Ed Helms? Yeah. Isn't he, like, the bully family that, like, cuts them in the roller coaster line? Uh, Am I, I remembering remember. it wrong? That was the one and done with me. I watched it in the theaters. I thought it was fine. I'll say this. Good movie, not a good vacation. I will go there, but I was very happy when they went to Chevy Chase and, um... Oh, God, why am I blanking on her name? When they went to... Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly D'Angelo, thank you. When they went to their house later on, I did have a, a big... That was a very nostalgic moment where, like, it worked for me. I didn't like it because of the way they wrote them, but we're not covering that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's cover this for real this time. But if we're going to cover anything Beverly D'Angelo, we should probably do Pterodactyl one from Beverly Hills. 
You ever see that? Ferg, I think you might have seen that. It's like the low-budget trauma movie where Beverly D'Angelo just, like, finds an egg and becomes a pterodactyl. It's a fucking great you're drinking movie. It's not a good anything else movie. So one more time to get into the actual episode. It's almost like we don't want to talk about this. I do want to talk about this. I um, I actually, you know, I'll tell you right now, I kind of like this episode. So the intro is, it's, it's very of the times, right? That mid-90s. The intro is just him sitting on a bench kind of, like, up from far away. With his legs crossed, and it's like this kind of like big band conga y style music. Am I describing it's like a Latin sort of? Yeah. Yeah. Like a salsa something. And it's like super widescreen and black and white and like artsy. It looks like depressing. I was, um, I would say depressing. Was it black and white? I also don't yeah. think it was black and white. No. It was definitely it black and white. I don't think it was. Joe got kicked by a donkey right before. Reviewing the tapes. <laughs> Reviewing the tapes. I can tell you. I'm standing by that it was black and white. It I was not. Know. I just checked. <laughs> I still had, I still the folder popped up. It was not. You know, they do an interlude at one point. I wonder if maybe one of those is black and white. For maybe. Some reason. Yeah, there's two interludes, actually. You know, nothing much to say about that intro. It's fine. It, it, it's very of the times. Doesn't give you any insight about the show, but it is what it is. It's, it's quick enough. First scene is um we meet Jonathan and Sam. Jonathan is Jonathan Silverman. Sam played by Joey Slotnick, who's in a ton of things. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. I know him from Nip Tuck. He's in what, a league of their own? He's in a bunch of stuff. Oh, he's in a million things. Uh no, it's a weird movie he's in. You remember that movie Pirates of Silicon Valley? Yep. That was like the huge like TNT was like, we're making a movie about like Apple and Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and their garage. Oh, okay. He's Steve Wozniak in that, and I think that um Steve Jobs is maybe uh speaking of vacation. I think he's um uh what's his fuck who's the very first Rusty? Anthony Michael Hall? Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, from Sixteen Candles and all that. He's also in the office, Jay. He's in a he's a great office episode. Okay, in, uh, this nine. is what it was then. What was he in the office? When Jim and Pam go to visit the preschool. Yes, he's the teacher. Okay, he's the that's teacher what that Jim walks in on while he's pooping. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't you lock it? The door doesn't lock for the children's safety. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, both of them had good points in that scenario. Yeah. That yeah. argument, I'm like, I'm, I side with both of them. Yeah. Yeah, but they had another bathroom. You could just use the adult bathroom. I wouldn't want to go to a kid's bathroom. That feels weird. So the two of them are walking into Jonathan's apartment. And uh, I guess before we even move into the conversation itself, we, we kind of talked about the apartment already. Typical sitcom apartment, New York apartment, but just maybe a tad smaller. Yeah. But it wasn't, small. it wasn't dingy. It was just a little smaller. It was, it was still nice. I like the apartment because it feels real. That feels like where that guy lives. Whereas, like when we watch Friends, and they walk into some giant loft and it's got like oh yeah, that's vaulted windows and everything. You're like, what is happening? No one lives here. They eventually explained it on Friends. I feel like because it was a commentary from everyone watching the show for so long. Like at that point, you could have lived in like the Meatpacking District or Brooklyn or something, but like you wouldn't be in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You'd be in like the middle of nowhere industrialville to have that kind of a building that's why okay you know what they would have had in friends they should have lived in the house from uh baby talk <laughs> that's the apartment they should have had like if they're gonna have like a loft building like that that's what makes sense that house was huge it was industrial though and you had to do everything to it it wasn't like a pre-done like with nice walls and stuff it was just like an open she was doing all the work and paying for it. For those of you who don't know Baby Talk, we covered it a few weeks back. Go ahead and listen to it. It is a Look Who's Talking style show starring Tony Dance as the voice of a baby. It was not good, but, it was you know, you know, but we had fun talking about it, so you can go back and listen to that. I'll go on our website and you can hear Jay dub over all the scenes. Yeah, it's on, it's, again, on Instagram, S21Pod, where I replaced Tony 
Danny Danza for a small 30-second clip. The Jay's dream to just now. There's archives on Jay's computer of him doing, like, full taxi episodes and dubbing <laughs> over the Tony Danza. I'll never release those, but they're funny I don't think me. so, Louie. <laughs> <laughs> Angela! <laughs> yeah, so uh, they get to the apartment, and Sam's telling Jonathan about this girl he met who's, like, stupidly beautiful, way too beautiful to be a model even, and they met on the subway, and I guess their eyes locked, and somehow a couple stops later they got to talking, and they're sitting side by side, things are getting a little flirty. But, since Sam is a happily married man, he can only kind of go up to a certain level of flirtation, so he goes ahead and gives this girl Jonathan's number. This is also a very, like, if you read this as Jerry Seinfeld and George, it feels like a Seinfeld thing. What do you mean she's beautiful? You met her on the subway. You gave her my number. It's my number. Like, it's just fucking Seinfeld. Did anybody else get vibes of the Charles in Charge intro for this one? Oh, good call. Yeah, because they both came in talking about a date with a super hot I did, girl. and I yeah. feel like it was because we covered it not long ago. Yeah, that ago. had to be it. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Silverman, who I'm guessing by his name is Jewish, notorious for his Bible man commentary later on. <laughs> you lucky stiff! You're the luckiest of the stiffs! He became Torah man later. Oh, I definitely want to do a combo where it's a <laughs> buddy talking to uh, him. I just want to like, you lucky stiff! What do you mean I'm so lucky? Jonathan does ask why his number. Sam's like, well, remember a couple summers ago when everyone got married? He's like, yeah. He's like, you didn't. I, I like that exchange between the two of them. And he goes on to tell him that, you know, he spent the rest of the ride talking all about him to this girl. And she really seems to like him. Says that they have really good chemistry. Which is funny because he's not there for the conversation. Jonathan's like, wait, so I just picked up the world's most beautiful woman on the subway and I wasn't even there? I am good. This is a fun conversation, though. And, like, I feel like for a group like us, we're all so close that you could talk to somebody. Like, I feel like any one of us could talk to somebody else on the other's behalf and half-ass make it work because we've all known each other for fucking 30 years. So, like, it's sort of relatable, not relatable, believable, if it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if I would... No, never. I'm just saying I understand if it could, how it could work. But I, I would say, like, without even that initiative or trying to do something like that, I do feel like I've known you guys so long and so well that I could probably identify, like, oh, this person would be a good match. Like, they would, or, like, they're, they would probably, like, enjoy each other's company because um, you at least know the personality types enough to, like, get a good vibe. Like, you're on the train and some girl's talking to you and she's like, you know what? I love a man who knows a good meme. And you're like, you know what? I've got just the guy for you. But you know what's funny? Because it's like, I think that's what people tend to think about when it comes to matchmaking and, and like, just kind of that external stuff, right? Like, so if some girl was like, oh, I love horror movies and Disney shit. And you think, oh, well, Ferg would love her. But it's more than that, right? <laughs> Ferg's it's more than noise. That. Like, I need, yeah, like, I need, I need more than just, like, oh, this girl likes wrestling. Like, that's not enough. Like, it's more the personality. Like, I don't care if you actually like anything that I like. It's more that personality vibe and how that chemistry works. I also stand by, too, you need people who can tolerate and maybe are, like, really into the periphery of what you like. But, like, you don't want to date somebody who's, like, super into what you're into, too. That seems yeah, like you it's You need the a, yin and the yang. Yeah. Like, if I met some, if, if, like, when I met Kelsey, she was like, I have all the exact same traits you do, and I do I do this and that, and I like all this stuff, and I collect this and that, and I'm not another person. It's the Coming to America thing. It's like, what's your favorite movie? Whatever your favorite movie is. Like, you yeah. don't, that's not, like, that's not conducive to a real relationship. I'll say that. That makes holidays and birthdays a lot easier, though. Yeah. I mean, I just keep buying bowling balls that say Homer on them every year, and... <laughs> 
It's never backfired once. As they're having this conversation, all of a sudden they hear the toilet flush in the apartment. And they're both notably confused because as far as they were aware, they were the only two people inside. And it turns out it's the cable guy, uh, played by Larry Miller, who's... Another another great grab. Pretty One solid. of the great characters in the 90s. You know the funny thing about Larry Miller is? You know who his best friend is? Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, I did oh, not in, know. In real life. Really? In real life. Yeah, like they came up together. They've been best friends for... 40, 50 years at this point. That makes sense. But Larry Miller, who's in everything, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he's every Christopher Guest movie. He probably, you know, he's in, he's in Suburban Commando. He is in Suburban when the Commando. When the, like, bathroom door opened, I was like, hey, that guy. He's one of those classic that guys. And I think that he'd yeah. probably be okay with you saying that, you know, like, those that guy guys, I think are stoked to be, like, him and, like, Steven Tobolowsky. Even, um, oh, man, um, shit. I'm forgetting his name right now. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um... Don Rickles. Kurt Fuller. Oh, Kurt Fuller, yeah. I like how we just named three bald character actors. Like, that's what the criteria was. Needle-nosed Ned, Ned the Head, bing! He, um, he's informing them that the doorman let him in, and he came to install the pay-per-view for the fight, and tells him that this might be the crappiest TV he's ever put pay-per-view on. That, that's confusing, because pay-per-view back then, I mean, it wasn't digital, but you just called the number, and then they put it through your cable. We are post that, yeah. That was how pay-per-view was in, like, the 80s, not 1995. Yeah, so that's the thing. It was, like, there was a time where pay-per-view is installed this way. That was one thing about this episode as a whole, that there's a lot of technology that super dates it. I was thinking, like, and we'll get into, like, the answering machine later. There's a lot of just times where just product of the world changing, but nearly 30 years later, it's so different. So like little things like this don't read the same way. If you're a kid, we're so one, one foot into the old world, one into the new that like we catch the references. But if you were to show an 18 year old kid, this and it is installing the, what, what do you mean? Installing the pay-per-view cable? What? It's crazy that we're on the line of pre internet. Well, 1995 would have maybe been like around the first time we all started going to your house for, for wrestling pay-per-views too. So like we all have like mm-hmm. a stake in like knowing how people you worked and like your mom wasn't like the cable guy will be here at three it was like you, you just called whoever it was time warner or whoever it was back then you ordered it and it was on your bill the next month like you didn't need a person to come in in 1987 and i actually don't think you need a person to come in back then i think you went to the cable office and you got like a special like gimmick box from them that allowed for the signal to go in and you'd like bring it back yeah it's crazy how just different things were but this uh this particular cable guy has also taken the liberty of helping himself to a soda and some cake cake and coke here's my thing right <laughs> so obviously that's meant to be funny and weird but what bothered me was okay you could take a soda from his fridge but you needed a glass you had to pour it into a glass and dirty a glass <laughs> see i appreciate that though because again this is versus seinfeld right like seinfeld is very much like in the generic like you're holding up a soda can and it says like cola down it right because you can never show a brand name this is just easier i think to be like look we're not gonna pay anybody to do it we don't have the prop department here to give us a fake can so like no they have cans they have cans but then they dump it into the the glass he pours the can into the glass oh i didn't even notice he poured the can i thought he just had the glass and i was like I don't know. It's something about that, like, irritated me. I was like, this rude motherfucker. I was like, it really bothered me. It was played for laugh, and I did laugh, but it annoyed me more than anything. Like, ev- everything he did, I was like, what a dick. If he didn't have ice, because I will say, like, I don't drink a ton of soda, but when I do soda with, like, soda in a big cup with a lot of ice is really, really good. It's like fountain soda, right? When you get soda at a McDonald's or whatever from the fountain with a ton of ice in it, it just tastes so much well, there's better. there's nothing it's, like, better. cold. Yeah, it's so, so perfect. Ice cold moxie. Well, no one wants that. 
So uh, Jonathan heads over to his answering machine, asks the cable guy if he's checked his messages yet. It's like, not yet. And again, like, just the idea of answering machines, trying to explain that to somebody nowadays, it's just, it's funny because it's so natural to us because we had them. We lived through them. And this whole episode is all, I mean, the last, but it's it's in the beginning, middle, and end. There are buttons that are on the answering machine. Like, the plot of this episode doesn't necessarily work without an answering machine. So for those of you kids listening, an answering machine is basically in a voicemail recording box that you, you know, when you missed calls that went to your house because you had no cell phone, people would record a message and you would play it back once you got home. Either on a cassette tape or a micro cassette tape. Yeah. I was so mad for a while when I worked. We talked about that place Gazelle I worked at for a while, but like, yeah. you know, they were sending all that stuff and you'd recycle it. So for a while I was getting all those like micro cassettes that you would use for an answering machine or you could use on like the, you know, a newspaper reporter comes to interview you and then he's a little handheld guy thing. So I had like 10 of the players, like the recorders and like a big pile of the tapes and I was saving them on my desk and I was going to put out like a release for my friend's <laughs> bands on just that, but then give them the player too. It's like just a stupid, dumb thing. And they came in one day and did like a full clean sweep of the office and they just thought it was junk on my desk and threw away. That sucks. Yeah. I was like, no, this was going to be the most arcane release of all time. <laughs> so when he checks his messages, he has one from Arthur, who is his literary agent. And it turns out Jonathan's European book tour is a bit screwed up because there isn't one. The signing that was supposed to be in Lisbon, Portugal is actually at a lesbian bar called the Porthole. <laughs> <laughs> just got a laugh out of because <laughs> it was so matter of fact. Uh, it's actually just a lesbian place called the Porthole. Anyway, it's got to go. <laughs> this is the first time we figure out where, like, that he's an author, right? So that, like, this is the first time that comes up. I'm trying to remember what the I the first time I ever played a show in New York. It was the it was a lesbian specific bar that was the bar they go to in Chasing Amy. Oh, the Blue Oyster Club. <laughs> no, that is a male bar. That's different. Dun, 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 dun. But we played a show at the bar that was the lesbian bar from Chasing Amy. Meow Mix, maybe? Maybe what it's called. It's gone now. It was also on an episode of Honor or Criminal Intent, to bring that back up. But it made me think of that, because that was New York. I mean, this was 2004, maybe, 2003, so it's like eight or whatever years later. But in my head, I was like, I feel like I can view the bar they're talking about, because... I was in there. And it looked right. exactly the same as Chasing Amy, with it, which would have been around the same time, right? Where they were playing darts? Yeah, where, like, she dances, where Joey yeah, Lauren yeah. Adams dances, yeah. He finds out that she's a lesbian, and he, like, loses his weird mind. Because he's, like, looking at her, well, he loses his mind because he thought he was courting her. It, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't just upset that she was a lesbian or something, but... So Sam thinks it's a good thing that this tour, quote-unquote, is canceled, because now he's gonna be around and can get the call when Trade Girl calls. And then that's when, out of nowhere... Ernest Borgnine runs in the apartment and screams, hey, I made paella. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> and I melted with happiness immediately. Right? Oh. second you see him. I see him. McHale's Navy, fucking Mr. Denslow. Yeah, um, he plays Manny the Doorman here. Everything. <laughs> the Wild Bunch. Uh, Escape from New York. Oh, it's great in Escape from New York. My favorite thing. Cabby. He's Cabby in Escape from New York. What I noted here is I don't know if I've ever had paella. I haven't either because it's fish-based. doesn't always have to be, but yeah, most time they shellfish in it. I had it. It was one of those things. It is fish-based, and I'm not super into fish. I do like shrimp dishes and stuff like that. Is it a soup? It's like more of like a rice it's dish. It's like a gumbo, I think. It's like a soupier gumbo, yeah. Because a gumbo will get more like, uh, almost like a chili consistency, where this is actual broth, which is what I wanted to taste, because a good paella broth is supposed to be really good. I forget where I was that I had it. It was good, but again, it was, I was like unsurprisingly it was a little fishy so. <laughs> a little fishy yeah. yeah 
I would like to try. I feel like it's cheating to get one that's not fish-based. Like, yes, you can get a non-fish paella, but is it really still paella? It's like if you replace every piece of a boat, is it still the same boat, you know? But I've never, you don't really see it anywhere on menus or stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it, like, on, I've never been to a restaurant where they were like, try the, today's special, paella. My only experience with paella has been on TV shows. Like, you hear it on movies and TV shows. I've never seen it in real life. Well, someone can make me one that's both gluten-free and devoid of fish. I will try it. So I'll make you some water from the tap. That's <laughs> <laughs> paella Ferg style. <laughs> it's better than nachos Flanders style. <laughs> they ask Manny if he's going to stick around for the fights. And there's a lot of like, hey, hey, in the conversation. I don't know what that was all about, but that was just the banter that they were having. And then the cable guy tells him that the pay-per-view's ready. And then they turn it on, and it's clearly porn. You can tell just from the music before they even like reference what's going on. What's great about this too is they did a very good job. Whoever directed this did a very good job of choreographing everyone's heads turning to the side watching the TV in unison. Like one of the best parts of this is like you're hearing basically like you know the standard like joke porn music, and then everyone like goes and tilts their head over, but like does it perfectly timed with each other. And I also just love that it's happening with Ernest Borgnine, who years after this we know was a frequent masturbator. Oh my god, I love him so much. Again, we've talked about this in a past episode. Just YouTube it. It's one of the greatest clips ever. It's great. And also, if you're YouTubing Ernest Borgnine as well, there's an hour-long documentary. I forget what the name of it is. It's something along the lines of, like, Ernest Borgnine Rides the Bus. And in his later years... No, that's Ernest Rides Again. That's a different one. Oh, okay. But in Ernest Borgnine's later years, he bought, like, a million-dollar tour bus like the kind like you like we'd go on if we were on tour across the country and he would like take him and his kids who were like older right because he's an older guy at that point he's like 40 year old kids he like just would tour the country driving this tour bus so they could like sleep and they like go through the whole bus where he's got this like insane master bedroom that he just basically drives through the midwest in this documentary and it's the same guys who did um heavy metal parking lot they like follow along with them and we just go with Ernest Borgnine. He goes to like the shoe factory of the shoe place he likes and they go to like the Miller High Life Brewery and it's just Ernest Borgnine being like salt of the earth old guy talking to people being like last time I was here. It's fucking amazing. It's the best hour of your life. Nick, do you remember the last time you watched Heavy Metal Parking Lot? Yeah, I watch it every night before bed. Wait, I'm sorry. Do, have you guys ever seen that? No, why would we have seen that, Joe? Stop getting surprised when we don't <laughs> see these things. What did you bring up? You brought up something earlier, too. I forget what Joe, it was. Joe, I've never like, even seen that. There's like a movie you brought don't up earlier. Don't truck diaries. You guys don't watch that every night? <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. Look, I know I bring up weird things, but Heavy Metal Parking Lot's like a cultural thing. It's a documentary that's like, it's like 25 minutes long these guys made where they just drive through and talk to people at a Judas Priest concert in like 1986 in the parking lot in Maryland. It's like a it's like a cultural landmark thing where like it's always reference to talk about. When you see it, you'll probably understand a bunch of jokes and references because it's like referenced that much. It's not like a weird underground thing. It's like pretty well known. I'll try to check it out. Oh, he was in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Jonathan tells him to switch to the fights, but Sam and the cable guy are now frozen watching this porn together <laughs> at that time now a second message plays from the answering machine way way later than the first <laughs> so i don't know what happened there but then he went and hit the button again did he hit the button I again he had i didn't to catch hit, that. like next or something yeah because yeah, the whole joke for the whole episode now is like the constant back and forth to the porn yeah it's his friend janine who's on the line now and she's reminding jonathan about their dinner plans for tonight with her and her husband so he's double booked and he doesn't want to cancel because he's canceled on him like the last two times but he also has money on this fight and wants to see george foreman so he's nicer than me 
because if I already paid for a pay-per-view, I'm not going. Especially back then, too, where it's like $60, and there's no replay, and it's it's done. It's one and done. Yeah. You, there's no, you're, you're watching that fight. Right around this point is now when Manny notices the porn on the TV, too. And so now they're all watching it. All four guys that are in the apartment are looking over at the TV. And Jonathan recognizes one of the girls in the video because she works at the coffee place nearby. She works at the Greek dieter, and Ernest Borgnine knows her because she spilled soup on his crotch once. <laughs> Which I'm like, I feel like there's more to this here. That was another one. Just anything he could have said just, like, filled my heart with joy. Yep. Yeah, he's right. She spilled soup on me once. And I was just like, oh, Ernest. I love him so much. I mean, with, with, with all the things he's been in, I can't see him as anything other than fucking uh, Denslow from Basketball, though. Yeah, that's how I am, too, because I've watched Basketball so many times. You can't see him not coughing up and letting a hot dog fall <laughs> back into <laughs> yeah. his throat in CGI. I'm <laughs> singing, I'm too sexy during the <laughs> I'm during too the sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. A man shirt. who has had such a great filmography. He's in the Dirty Goddamn Dozen, one of the greatest films ever made, and here we are all being like the cgi hot dog down his throat (laughs) they eventually change the channel to the fight and jonathan says you know that he doesn't want to miss anything um because they don't do stuff as like guys together anymore ever since sam got married it's like never just them and manny and the cable guy all the guys tell him that you know you have to go to those plans you already made the commitment but apparently they are all also willing to just stay at his house and watch pay-per-view that jonathan paid for I guess, like, it's already paid for. Someone might as well watch it, but I'd feel so weird about... No, I'm being bitter, and I'm being like, well, if I'm not watching it, none of you are. Get up. Yeah. (laughs) I get the idea, too, and maybe they explain this later on, because later, like, in the series, Manny, Ernest Borgnine, eventually says, like, I work nights or whatever, but I also get a weird feeling like he's the doorman here, and be... Like, you know how a lot lot of times in movies and TV shows you'll see, like, oh, this person's the super, and because they're the super, they live in the building, and they get either free or, like, discounted rent. Yeah. In my head, Ernest Borgnine works in the building and lives in the building, too. So, like, he's not that far away so it's less weird that he's hanging out because it would be like if you were just down the street from your house you know what i mean well he must live there because he said he worked nights but he's there for the fight well can they ask them well they say where do you who's watching the door and he's like i am and they just like don't question it <laughs> does he just have the paella down there while he's watching the door until it's time to bring it up yeah he had a hot pot yeah, did he have a heating plate maybe he had a heating plate or that would make sense because usually those apartments are on the first floor, so maybe he was like running in and checking in on his paella before the mail would come in. And paella is hot, right? Not cold. It's not like a gazpacho. Something else I've never had. Yeah. Again, we don't know about paella. We're not very we're not very cultured here at uh, S1E1. Again, Frig has a hot dog toaster, so we <laughs> haven't brought that up in a while, but it seemed appropriate here. We can make a hot dog versus instead of fish paella. I feel more into it. Hot dog flavored water. If if Shop you came over, fish. you're like, hey Jay, I made hot dog paella. I'd be like, no, thank you. There's, I wouldn't be like, oh wow, let's all let's all gather. Joe just came by with his world famous hot dog paella, probably delicious. I was gonna say you'd take a bite though. You'd all take a bite. Ugh. Me, I, I guess not. You too go ugh, like hot dogs are gross. Yeah, look, hot, what's made of what hot dogs are made of is gross, but they're delicious. Unless you get those damn Bar S brand ones. Well, we've talked about that before. <laughs> That's a real throwback story. Day that Bar S wants to sponsor us for a dollar. Yeah, we probably talked about it over a year ago, but just so you guys know, if you're someone like Joe who has a fish allergy, be careful. Some hot dogs <laughs> include all types of things. All types of things. So uh, the next scene, Jonathan's with Janine at her house, and she's setting up for like that dinner that they have planned for the night. And Janine really wants Jonathan to like Matt, that's her husband, 
it's weird because like the way they talk about it felt like they didn't like they were like a newer couple. Thank you. This is so confusing to me. He mentions in the scene before this, oh, you know, Janine, your best friend of all these years you're so close with. And then he goes to her house and she's like, I just want you to like my husband. And he's like, oh, your husband, the father of your child. And I'm like, were you in fucking oh, like a, a fucking prison or something? Like, how would you not know your best friend who clearly yeah. lives pretty close to you was husband at all? Yeah. They talk about the subject as if they don't know each other that well, but yeah. obviously they've probably been together hundreds of times. And with this show, there's a lot of dialogue that doesn't go with what you've seen. Like, well, I'll, I'll bring it up later when it comes up, but stuff with him and the girl, too. I got a very brother-sister vibe from them. Me, too. Friends. I really thought they were brother and sister. But even then, double so, it doesn't make sense. Like, he would have been at the wedding. Yeah. He would have been around when the kid was born. Okay, well, let's say he was on a book tour when she got married. He couldn't make it. Really hurt his heart. I mean, maybe she... But was he on a book tour for the past nine months? He Well, he seems to know the kid. That's even weirder. Because he comes in, he talks to the kid. It was. I think it was intended as if they do know each other. He just doesn't like him. And she just always wants him to start to like him. But they didn't vocalize that properly. It just wasn't explained in a way that made sense. If we're going just by what we're seeing and hearing. They transition into the dining room area, and that's when Jonathan looks down at the table, and he notices that there's, like, placements for four. So he's like, who's the fourth? There's me, there's you, there's Matt. And that's when we find out that she's trying to set him up with some girl named Delilah. And she's claiming that it's not a setup, it's just, you know, she just happens to be in town, even though she lives in town, near Jonathan, in fact. She's an editor at Time Magazine, so I guess, like, as a friend, I can see on the exterior it makes sense, right? He's a writer. She's an editor for a magazine. Like, there's... And it's time of all magazines, too. It's not like he's like, she's an editor for the National Enquirer. It's like, you know, a very reputable publication. So Janine still, like, insists it's not a setup. It's just a huge happy coincidence. And he does eventually get it out of her that it was, like, her husband's idea. And I was starting to wonder, like, because we already established she doesn't like Matt, and now Matt's trying to set him up, do you think Matt is, like, nervous that his wife's, like, best friend is, like, a single young man. And, like, maybe it's, like, I want him set up with somebody else so there's no, like, risk of something between the two of them. Less of a threat, yeah. I can see that. You know what I think it is? I think they've talked about it earlier in the episode that everybody got married but him. Yeah. You don't want to be the one guy who's single with all the couples. So maybe... That's why he hasn't seen her in a while is because he doesn't want to be the third wheel or hang out with married couples. From her standpoint, yeah, I, I can understand that because Sam's doing the same stuff, right? But when it when it becomes clear that it was Matt's idea to, to link him up with Delilah, that's when I kind of wondered if there was a maybe a, not ulterior motive, but maybe in a way, yes. Maybe he sees that it hurts his wife not seeing his best friend as much. Maybe. That could be it too. Maybe I'm just reading between the lines, but... I will say, though, this is one thing I wanted to bring up. Like, during the show, this happens a bunch, right? Where, like, the next scene, they even say, like, he's like, married people just want to be around other married people. Like, that's not true. Have I ever, pr- like, Gordo's not here right now, so I'm the only person here who's married. Have I ever once to any of you been like, it'd be great, though, if you were fucking married, you know? Like, that's such a weird thing. It doesn't change anything. I wonder if it's a thing of the times, maybe. I mean, but this isn't that you, long ago. I mean, we didn't see you when you weren't married, and we don't see you now that you're married. So <laughs> right, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> so, like, is it maybe it's not necessarily married, but then I think there is something about people who are in relationships or want to see other couples that could be part of it. Maybe not go all as far as getting married, but it's nice to just have that person linked up and for whatever dinner parties, activities, and stuff. They just like having yeah. another couple. Do we establish age yet? 
I'm pegging them for like early 30s, maybe. Yeah, I would maybe need late to like 20s, late 20s, maybe. Yeah, because that 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 is a deciding factor, like on how you feel about him not being married, right? Because if he's 25, then you know who cares? Why is everybody else married? Give it a break. But you know, if he's getting closer to our age and shit like that, and he doesn't even have any hopes, like. I get his friends maybe wanting to push him that way. There was like a big shift though with our generation because in the 90s, it was very commonplace to be married by your early to mid 20s. So there was a little bit of a gap. I feel like that generation too, like the people getting married in the early 90s probably have one of the higher divorce rates out there. Sure. Yeah. He was right around 25 when this episode came out. Oh, you Googled faster than me. Yeah. (laughs) He was (laughs) that that young in Bernie's? While talking. Mind you. (laughs) Isn't the first weekend at Bernie's like 87? Yeah. So, if we were to look it up real quickly, he was born in 1966. Weekend at Bernie's came out. So he's like 29 in this episode then. What did I say? He he was born in, this came out in 95, right? Yeah, so if he's born in 66, he's 29. Oh, it was, yeah. Gordo math. Thanks, Jay. For... Yeah, you threw me off there. I was like, there's no way he's that young in the Bernie movies. <laughs> I was triple tasking. Maybe you should have let me finish my Google then. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get it, Bernie's was 89, though. That's a very weird thing for you to know off the top of your head. He said 87. I said 87. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm not going to take credit for it. I, I didn't. I got the wrong one. Oh, well, it came out a couple years after Truckers in a Parking Lot or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. I'm going to send you... You're going to... First of all, you're going to watch it and you're going to love it. Second of all, you're going to see that it's a very culturally relevant thing. And it's not just me being a weirdo who's like, I have a VHS tape you can borrow. I wish I could remember what it was, though, because you also mentioned a movie earlier casually that I'm sure that nobody's seen. But you brought it up like everyone would have seen it. And I, I can't remember what it is now. Street Fighter? No, not Street Fighter. No, it's not like Horse. <laughs> I wish I could unsee Street Fighter. I love Street Fighter. Of course you do. It's To terrible. me, it was Wednesday. <laughs> Raul Julia is the only good part about that. Raul movie. Julia, R.I.P. R.I.P., bud. Of course! He was in the best MST3, MST3K episode ever released. He was in an episode? MST3K? Yeah. Yeah, when they did um, uh, Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. He's the main character. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. He wasn't like in the MST3K cast. <laughs> he was in one of the movies. That <laughs> His head was actually a soda yeah. machine for that episode. <laughs> it comes up in the conversation that they're having that Sam already knew about this whole fix, which obviously, you know, Jonathan's not happy about, but Janine's like, yeah, I run by every girl I present to you, like through Sam first. <laughs> like that immediately cuts to a call. So now Jonathan's calling his house where Sam picks up. That's where everyone's still at watching this pay-per-view. And he said, like, you knew about this and you let me order this expensive pay-per-view anyways. <laughs> that was a dick move. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great move, too, though. It's a real fuck you friend move. Well, I had to. They made me take an oath. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, but you could have, like, not told him that he was being set up on a date without making him spend money. It yeah. just been like, I don't know, like to say, hey, I'm not available to come over for the fight. <laughs> so he had nothing to do. Or, hey, don't you have a dinner at her house? The polar opposite, too, because he starts the episode by being a, a true bro and setting him up with a beautiful girl on a train uh, without him even being there. And then he does not tell him about an important dinner where he's being set up with a It's like, pick a lane, dude. Yeah, yeah this is kind of an odd thing that he'd forget. Because like, if anything's a triggery memory, it would be you trying to set him up with somebody else. That you think he'd be like, oh, shit, by the way, that's tonight. That date's tonight. He was probably distracted by his lovely wife. Mulan. <laughs> Chun Lee. Melinda May. Only Nick knows that one. Yeah, I don't know that one. I don't. What? Yeah, you do Agents of Shield. Oh shit, that's her? Yeah. 
wow, she aged really well, because this is, what, 20 years after that? Oh, look up her IMDb one day. She's in a ton of shit from, like, a long time ago and still in a ton of shit. Wow, I can't believe I didn't realize that was her, yeah. This is one of those shows where this is the early 90s and everybody in it is in, like, every TV show ever, but yet not one fucking person was in Mantis. And I'm waiting for my day where somebody was in Mantis. What show was the house that they're in, the lady? I can't think of her name right now. Oh, Lady in the House. <laughs> lady in the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there it is. No, she was in a show we did. Janine? Yeah. I mean, she's, again, one of those people who has a ton of stuff. She's also in a Seinfeld episode. Maybe it's Seinfeld I'm thinking of them, but I swear she was in a show we did, and maybe not even that long ago. The girl who plays Janine? I don't know if she was in anything that we could. She had to have been in, I'll find her. Oh, by the way, Ron Livingston was in Vacation. It wasn't Silverman. That was Ron Livingston, who I just watched had a good story arc in Boardwalk Empire. Jonathan tells Sam that he has to come over now, because now Sam has to join dinner, so Jonathan isn't the only guy without a date, which was like, again, I think he just worded that wrong. Mainly his goal is to have it so that he's not automatically linked up with Delilah. So he's hoping that the number of people is odd or the guy-to-girl ratio is off. Sam's like, but the fight. By the way, they're like constantly flicking back and forth and watching that porn the entire time. Yeah, that's a weird thing, watching porn with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> All right, so at first it comes up and they're like, okay, this is not what we expected to be on TV. And I can understand being like distracted by it for a few minutes, but I'm not going to make that my entire afternoon now. Oh, I just realized who she was. She is Ross's ex-wife's new wife. Oh, that makes sense with the casting because it's all NBC and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's also in The Boys. I don't know who though. I'm just looking at her IMDb right now. So now we flash forward to Jonathan getting the door at Janine's place. And Sam showed up with her, as you guys have been talking about her for a while. Uh, Here she plays Trudy. And as a result, this once again leaves Jonathan paired up with Delilah because now the numbers are even again. Jonathan says, what kind of name is Delilah anyways? And Trudy tells him how when she was in school, she knew a girl named Monkey. He's like, that was her actual name too. It's not just a nickname. I also really liked his response. That was, well, I just don't know what to say about that. <laughs> it just walks yeah, that away. Was good. Oh, like on Seinfeld when there's Coco the Monkey, which is a whole plot point there too. Just a T-Bone. T-Bone. <laughs> yeah. It was a T-Bone. There's a monkey on Friends too. A monkey on Friends as well. Yeah. Again, it's the same It's the same network, so things are going to happen. It's also a monkey in Aladdin, and Aladdin probably knows Mulan. They probably know each other. <laughs> <laughs> when they're at the company banquets and stuff yeah, like, like that. the company Christmas party. <laughs> Mulan and Aladdin hanging out. Uh, it's one of those... Seinfeld is almost at a point, though, where they went Wait, Are they so having long... crab for dinner or lobster for dinner? And the guy's like, did you get this under DC? He gets all mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian's just in the paella. Oh, That's weird. No. <laughs> Seinfeld, um, what I'm trying to say is it, it had such a long run, though, that when you pull like little comparison things like that, it's almost like when we do like The Simpsons did it. The Simpsons did it. Simpsons you know. did Seinfeld's it. Seinfeld's been around so long that like just it, it's going to happen, right? They're going to bring up things or do things that are going to liken itself to that show a little bit, especially where that show is so random. And at this time too, Tied for Cheers is probably like the most popular sitcom and most like present in culture sitcom. Yeah. One thing we, I don't think we talked about this too, just real quick, aside from the show, because we're talking about all the other shows. A big thing about this show was that it was part of the must see TV lineup. Yeah. Like you had mentioned that their ratings were so high when they were canceled. It's kind of crazy that in our lifetime, we got to watch the rise and fall of that, but it was so long. Like it started with like Cheers, right? And then it pretty much ended with The Office. 
It's a long lifespan. Like, Thursday night used to be literally must-see TV. Because if you think of the end of Thursday nights where it was like, oh, Parks and Rec, Community, The Office, 30 Rock. That was like the last big run that it yeah, had. Yeah, like, we're like, I literally wouldn't go out on a Thursday night. Like, you'd be home, you'd order pizza, and you'd watch every yeah, show. Yeah, like, we'd have, like, people come over and stuff, like, my old apartment and stuff. So now, Jonathan keeps trying to get Trudy to leave. <laughs> he even goes as far as throwing her coat out the door. <laughs> like... I do appreciate that move. I uh, I got an audible laugh out of that. <laughs> he's just like, like he's like trying to lure a dog with a toy and just like threw it up. He just really wants the numbers uneven. Like it's it's so bad that it's weird. Yeah, yeah. He's clinging on to that. So now Sam asks, "What if this girl's the one?" And Jonathan's like, "Well, I thought you said the girl from the train was the one. She could be the one too." And Trudy says that she thinks trains are very romantic. He's like, well, this one was the F train to Flushing. And then I was like, well, boy, do I hope that train girl is Fran Drescher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we're going to tie in episodes, like that would be like such a great have him dating Fran. It's one of those weird things too, right? If you're anybody who's ever lived in a city, right? Like the idea of trains being romantic is like Agatha Christie or, you know, like these like old timey things where it's like, and they took the train across country and their sleeper cabins. Like there is nothing. I've been on the New York City subway system a number of times. And never once has any of those moments been romantic. Like yeah, it's reality is it's just a homeless guy pooping himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Say like, oh look, a pile of shit. <laughs> or it's some guy like very weirdly intimidatingly like singing and then asking you for money and you're like, if I don't give this guy a dollar, he might stab me. <laughs> like, I have no legs. Yeah, it's like that shit. <laughs> everything just vaguely smells like and not even vaguely, everything just smells like pee. Or like them being like, the next train arrives in 74 minutes. And you're like, oh, I'm so romanticized right now. I sure hope that me and some young lady go to pick up papers at the same time. <laughs> the, the end of the warrior is when it's like the prom kids coming home at the same time as the gang all beat up. It's like, ooh, so romantic. Look at these couples on the train. He's like, why is it you guys think that you can find a better girl for me than me? I know me. I am me. And, uh. And then at this point, the doorbell rings and everyone like legit jumps up in excitement. Everyone's like running around and trying to eventually land in like what would be their like act natural positions. Silverman tucks his shirt in. That's the thing. Even he's like excited now. Yeah, all of a sudden. He like still goes like, I don't want this girl to be here. He still makes an effort. Because the prospect of you never know, right? And then uh, the door opens and it's Janine's husband, Matt. He's like, you'll never guess who I just happened to run into on the way here. And I'm like, wait, so is... Delilah in on this that it's like a fake setup like to, to get them together oh they're just setting up that she's a name dropper no but when when he's like you'll never guess who I just happen to run into because this was a planned thing to have Delilah show up so is Delilah not sitting there going what do you mean you just happen to run into me like you invited me over a week ago but she must know too because she's right behind him yeah so is she in on the fix like hey I'm gonna try to set you up with my wife's friend and we're not telling him because he doesn't want to get set up What's weird, too, is when she walks in, you get the idea that he's, like, into her. Yeah. He was, like, super smitten. The whole time they're at lunch, too. Well, I think here's what it is. She is, like, she's an attractive girl. Sure, yeah. So he was like, okay, well, let's see where this goes. And then she starts to talk. And I think that's where things went south. And, like, look, we've all been there, not even in a romantic relationship. You've all met somebody and been, like, people are like, oh, you get along with this person really well. And they start talking and you're like, I fucking hate this person. Or, like, you're at a you know, a, like a significant other's friends, significant other or whatever, you guys will get along. You can talk. And you're like, fuck, I can't handle this person. Right. And that, that goes exactly back to what I was saying before, where it's like, you can have things in common that you like, but it's really about personalities that like link people up. And it's like, 
prime example, right? Get out of romance. Like, look at us, the four or five of Gordon's here. Like, we're all very different people. But, like, our personalities work with one another. We like to vibe. It's not because we all like the same things. Right. We're, like, the closest to friends because we all get along for other reasons. Right. But if it was based solely on, like, our music choices or movies or what we wanted to do, it wouldn't, yeah. Yeah, that stuff fades away over time, too, because your interests change. So, like, you have to have, like, a connection with your, like, the personalities have to link. No. You big sweetie. Yeah. I don't like you guys that much, but I'm I'm invested now. There was nothing worse, though, than, like, the significant other's friends, significant other. That n- that very rarely works out. So you'll get along with them. He's a guy. All guys get along. I love that fucking line, too. It's like, oh, do they? This will be great. That happens. You get stuck in those situations sometimes, and it's like, well, I guess we have to talk all night. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, so we had a handshake and we had a beer. Do we have to keep going now? Because if you vibe with somebody right away, you do, right? You can talk to them all night long. Maybe you bond like the Quinlaws. Maybe you're the Quinlaws, yeah. You're at Otto's bar. Merry, happy, whatever, for those of you guys who have not listened to that yet. That was certainly a show. That was, that happened. Yeah, but the next scene, they're all having dinner. And Delilah's wrapping up a story that she's telling that ends in uh, Joe's start of the show line. So I said, Senator, keep your damn champagne. I'm from New York City. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) The snort's good. Everyone, everyone's like laughing hysterically and I couldn't tell if it was all intentional fake laughter or not at that point because it was a little over the top. I think, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think they were trying to just entertain her. I think like the friend's husband really thinks it's funny, but I think all the main characters are humoring her. Right, because the friend's husband's best friends with her. So he gets along with her. This is like par for the course, regular hangout for him. Because I get he's also pretty goofy. He's also, he seems like, yeah, he's like kind of an idiot guy. But she starts not dropping the names, though. The one thing I want to look up real quick, because she says, like, Bobby. And she's talking about Robert De Niro, who famously is one of those people that if you call him Bobby and you're not his friend, apparently he freaks the fuck out because, like, that's what his friends call him sort of thing. You don't know me like that, motherfucker. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, I would never go up to Robert De Niro without being like, pardon me, Mr. De Niro. Like, you know, just call him Bobby. What the fuck? But 1995, when this episode came out, he did Heat and Casino. Like, two of the best movies of all time. I just wanted to note how good of a year 1995 was for Bobby De Niro. I watched Casino recently. Great. It's great. Have you seen Heat recently? No. Rewatch Heat. Heat is a masterpiece. Stop calling me Bobby. <laughs> Stop calling me Bobby. <laughs> For those of you who've seen the cinematic classic American, American Psycho, Psycho 2. 2, Mila Kunis's finest work. Yeah. While everyone's laughing at her story that she was telling, Janine and Sam run into the kitchen to kind of sidebar a little bit. And she's asking him if she thinks that Jonathan likes her. And Sam's like, uh, no, because she's beyond awful. <laughs> Janine's like, she's not that bad. It's like, no, she is that bad. She defines that bad. And we cut back to the rest of them at the table. <laughs> she, he says... He's just in shock because she's such a monster, which I don't know why I yeah. that's so funny. He's acting out of shock. When we're back at the table, that's Delilah's like, she's going on about a lot of places she's been and like who she's been there with. And like you guys said before, it's a lot of name dro- dropping, but the joke is always that she only gives the first name. So they have to keep guessing who she's talking about or ask. She weirdly calls Ernest Hemingway Papa. Yeah. So there's a book, Papa Hemingway, that's about him. So I don't know if that was like a nickname he went by because I was trying to look that up before. Because when that came up, I was like, is there a different famous Hemingway? Right. It's, it's usually only Ernest. Yeah. By the way, this is all very Seinfeld. Though. This is very She's Seinfeld, a name dropper. Yeah. She drops <laughs> names. What do you mean she drops names? She drops names. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. It still looks like Jonathan is into her at this point. 
which was like, you know, not to be expected. Until he walks in and says, I hate her. You don't feel like he hates her. Like, it's very, this is a bit of muddled writing. No, I could tell he hated her. Well, he's not, he's not going to be like outwardly a dick to her, you know. Just Eventually he was. Well, yeah, but I mean, out of respect for his friends, I guess he wasn't. But he's like, he comes and says how much he doesn't like her and then asks her out after. So I don't understand that. That's what I was saying earlier when I was saying I how didn't the, like that writing. The writing doesn't all. go with what happens a lot of the time. Well, we could, we'll touch on that when we get to it because I was a little confused, but I, I have theories. But we'll get to that because as you guys are saying, when we're back in the kitchen, it's Janine and Sam talking again. And Sam hates this girl and he's pretty confident Jonathan will too. But is this Janine's first time meeting her, too? Because she should have known this was her personality. And if it's her husband's best friend, how does she never met him before? Met her before. Right, and it's her best friend, so she should know these people should not will not go well together. Her defense was, Jonathan likes everybody he's famous for. it. So, like, that could be the rationale, was, like, it doesn't matter who I throw at him, he'll, he'll probably like her. But, yeah, that's right when he walked in and says, I don't like this girl. <laughs> and they're trying to figure out a way to, like, escape the dinner now, but they're already in it. But Sam offers to, like, make himself throw up. Also, real quick, too, they talk about uh, the Hemingway thing is they shared a Rob Roy. Yes. I had no idea what a Rob Roy was, so I looked it up because I don't drink mixed cocktails like that. I knew because of Meet the Parents. That's what Bobby De Niro drinks in it. No, it's Tom Collins. Never mind. Tom Collins, I thought, yeah. A Rob Roy is just a Manhattan, but instead of rye, it's scotch whiskey. Yeah, it's not good. Gross. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I'm all, when people talk about drinks like that that are essentially just straight whiskey plus, like, one weird little thing, I'm like, why would you not just get, like, a fucking bourbon on the rocks? Like, I don't understand what you're adding bitters to this for. Like, it's not changing that much. Um, Yeah, I'm not a scotch guy. I like me bourbon, whiskeys, and I'll drink rye, but scotch is not for me. I tried them, too. I've tried a bunch of scotches. I'm like, there's got to be something here. Hey, you went through a phase where you were doing a lot of scotch. I went through a phase because I cleaned out my grandmother's basement and there was like 11 different types of unopened scotch down there. You're like, well, these are mine now. And then I went through them and I forget who it was. It was a friend of ours. It was like, you know, if you found a bunch of bottles in your grandparents' basement, it's all the bottles they didn't want (laughs) for a reason. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's a good pin. So it's like all this bottom shelf gifted crap that they got that they never actually wanted. So, uh, but I did, I've dabbled into, you know, you know, more popular scotches more expensive ones i just don't like it they all taste like leather to me yeah i it's something about the flavor it it to me it's one of those things where i mean i can't speak for it anymore i haven't had it in over a decade but like burger king if you eat burger king for two days i feel like no matter what you eat if you burp it tastes like burger king yes scotch i feel like is the only alcohol where like three days later you might like cough or burp and be like oh i can taste the scotch like it doesn't leave your system that's what happens anytime I have tequila, I will burp that up the rest of the night, no matter what I do or eat or drink. Yeah, Ferg's always just like, oh, tequila and cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense, though, because to me, tequila just tastes like butter. So I feel like that works with cake. What? You, you've been eating really weird butter. <laughs> I've had really good tequila, like, like whatever good tequila and really cheap tequila and all tequila to me. I'm always just like, it feels like I just did a shot of butter. I don't like tequila at all. I like a margarita occasionally. But. See, it's strange, too, because I don't mind taking a shot of tequila at all, but I don't like any mixed drink that has tequila in it. You don't like you a don't, margarita? I, I hate margaritas. I like a good margarita, like a good strong margarita that's not icy. Like, it's like a, it feels like a good summertime drink. But again, they get you very drunk very quickly, and they're so sugary. Yeah, that's my thing, too, is 
tequila usually goes with a pretty sugary drink, uh, and it's just, you know, I'm not into sugary things. Nah, me neither. Tequila also was almost a guarantee hangover, because if you're drinking tequila, you've either been drinking too much that you shouldn't have started drinking tequila, or you'll keep drinking more, and you shouldn't be, and, like, it's just gonna crash you down the next day. The next scene we get is, like, it's kind of like a quick cut. Doesn't progress the story, but it's just, like, this moment of Manny... And the cable guy in Jonathan's apartment just enjoying paella and watching the, the pay-per-view and having a blast. Did you guys look up which fight this would be, too? Because I, I looked it up. I was tempted, to. I was short on time before we had a record, and I, I wanted to see if Foreman had any fights in 95. He did. He had a championship fight against Alec Scholes, who was a German boxer, in April 22nd. It's actually Axel Scholes, I think. Was that? I think it's Axel Scholes, not Alex. Is it Axel? Yeah. Oh, okay. I may have that wrong then, yeah. But Scholz, at least, is the last name. He's a German guy, right? Uh, I don't remember. I think that's his only fight in 95, though. But I was thinking about how, like, this is pre-Foreman Grill, but, like, around the same time as he started doing the Meineke commercials. And then remember how big of a deal it was? Because we'd been, like, what, 10 when this episode came out? It was, like, a big deal. He was, like, present in culture again. And then all I could think of, too, is that his King of the Hill episode where <laughs> Hank Hill tells him that he doesn't sell novelty grills, and George Foreman just goes, Novelty grill? Whenever I see George Foreman, I immediately think, novelty grill. So it cuts back to the dinner at Janine's where Delilah just won't stop talking. And everyone seems like they're starting to be a little miserable. She references Hemingway, who she brought up earlier. We said the Papa Hemingway thing. And Matt uses that as an excuse to bring up Jonathan's new book and says, well, she says that, you know, had they met like a month earlier, she could have included him in a piece they did in the magazine about like the next generation of great novelists. And now Trudy glances over at Sam. It says, you're looking a bit pale, because clearly she also is looking for a way out of this dinner at this point. I do love their tag teaming. There is a scene, a little, I think it might be before this, talking about the looks they give each other. Where it's like, you guys yeah. give their looks, whatever. That, where, where I will not agree with the married people are trying to get married people to be married, or whatever. That's not true. But the, like, wife, husband, look at each other telepathy, for sure is true. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that transcends married married couples, too, though. Like, Oh, just couples, yeah. Long-term couples, yeah. I mean, I could do that with Ferg, you know, like it's just, and we only sleep together sometimes. Bed buddies for life. Do a ballpark. How many times would you say you shared a bed with Ferg? Every vacation. Yeah. At least 30 times probably now. He sleeps like a dead guy. Like it's, it's a good bedmate to have. <laughs> That's just, a good bedmate. Yeah. Someone who doesn't move. I mean, sometimes <laughs> you'll catch a whiff of something, but uh, other than that, it's, it's, it's good, good position to be in. It's because he always eats paella in bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Room service, paella man. <laughs> like, oh, again, Ferg. <laughs> I actually, um, so the next line I really liked, it's when Jonathan says, you know what I'd really like, Delilah, to be the Time Magazine Man of the Year? Do you choose that, too? And she's like, doesn't get the sarcasm. She goes, oh, I don't think you'd be a candidate. No offense. <laughs> uh, but then I, I also thought, too, I was like, well, I wonder what that committee looks like. Yeah. Like, is that just a boardroom meeting where they're like, I don't know, Gandhi this year? I'm more curious, like, who's the committee for the sexiest man alive? Yes. There's probably just a bunch of old guys. <laughs> like, It's never the person I would think is the sexiest. Like Joe Maganello? I mean, to me, every year it would just be... Uh, Come on, this is the 90s. It would have been Brad Pitt. It was often Brad Pitt, yeah. I would just always go Statham. Every year I'd be like, it's Statham again. Brad Pitt, probably, Clooney. Probably Clooney a lot. Oh, Clooney for sure. Oh, man, this is the era of, like, people fawning all over George What Clooney. is it, the time man of the year... 1995. I was literally just about to do the same thing. It was... 95 was... <laughs> oh, no, that was Person of the Year. It was Newt Gingrich. I was like, what? 
Where's the man of the year? Um, I think that was the same. I think person of the year might be. Okay, like, so you know, it, it was different. Yeah. But if you want to also do a quick 1995, who is the sexiest man alive? Is that people? I think that's people. Um, it's got to be Clooney. I'm going to incognito mode, so that's I not mean, my search history. It was Brad Pitt. <laughs> it was Brad Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of nonverbal communication going on in this scene, actually, as we were talking about it. Because Trude is getting, keeps trying to get Sam to get them out of there, but... Janine's doing the same. She's giving like nonverbal cues to Sam also to, to stay. And eventually Sam shoots up. And I think this is when he's going to try to make himself throw up because they cut away from it pretty quick. Yeah. I think we're to believe that he did throw up. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Just like all over the table. Like what Yeah, happens? all over the table because she's like, I've never heard of somebody having an allergic reaction to ladyfingers before. It's like you assume he had a reaction. <laughs> that being said, when they said that, Joe, you're kind of allergic to ladyfingers. I wouldn't have thrown up, no. But that, the way they addressed it, like, oh, I didn't know you could be allergic to ladyfingers. I mean, like, I guess you can't be allergic to ladyfingers. You can be allergic to, like... Something in it. Something in it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, does he have to, like, actually stand up and make himself vomit in front of everyone? Can't you just... <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good finality. It, it makes the point. Yeah, you could just run to the bathroom and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just got sick in your bathroom. I have to leave. And they should trust that to be true. Also, these are people, I mean, I guess they're in their mid-20s, you said, or almost almost 30-ish, whatever. Just fucking lie about it. Just go, like you said. Just be like, uh, I'm feeling sick, we have to leave. And then the spouse is immediately like, well, I have to go with my partner. Like, this is so much easier than him actually having to throw up on his friend's table. He had to throw up to break up the dinner, because he was trying to get him out of it, too. I guess that's true. You need to be able to get Jonathan out. That's fair, yeah, because otherwise it would just be him and his wife. I like when they cut to Sam and Trudy, like, just sprinting through the city. Dude, that killed me. That was the funniest part of the whole episode. Because they were in an all-out sprint. Like, full speed, run as fast as you can, action. (laughs) I also love, too, that they're not running at the same speed. That he's leaving her so far behind. (laughs) Yep. Because at first, it's like the dead-on. Like, they're running towards the camera, like, through the city. Because the whole reason is he wants to catch the end of the fight. Yeah. But then they do the side shot. We see them run like across the screen and like they are <laughs> fucking hauling ass. He's like far as Gump. Yeah. yeah. He's going. Well, you remember how big it was with all these boxing matches, right? I mean, not so much Foreman, but like all these Tyson fights, right? That were well, huge. Foreman was pretty big. I don't say he was big, but I'm saying the Tyson ones were like over in a minute, right? So like if you're trying yeah. to run to get to the start of the fight, that's because you might miss the whole fight if you're a minute late. We also get Delilah outside. She's trying to get a cab. And Jonathan walks up and offers for the two of them to split one. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just not very interested in going out with you. And he's like, I was offering to save you a couple bucks. Like, I'm not, like, interested either. And then, like, I think it's because she now rejected him, I think, is why it started to flip. See, that would that would make sense. You're not wrong. But the fact that he is standing anywhere near her, her at this point doesn't make any sense to me at all. Go to different corners and get For a real. cab separately. Yeah. Also, you don't know where she lives. You could be in totally different directions. If she's like, I live in Queens, and he's like, I live in you know Upper Manhattan. But it was established they live near each other because she brings that. Um, Janine brought that. That's up true. To actually, oh, yeah. do they? I don't remember that. Okay, that's my fault then. My it's bad. being a pilot. We don't know the character enough to know that like him being rejected would change his mind. That's the only thing. Yeah, nor do we know him well enough to be nice enough to split a cab with some girl he clearly does not like. Yeah. Well, I get the nice guy vibe from him right away, though. That didn't throw me off. He doesn't like her in that way, but, like, unsufferable as she's been, she didn't do anything, like, mean-spirited. So it's not like he hates her. Also, being a writer, that's a good contact to have. 
That's true too, yeah. That's a good point. Actually, that's maybe the best point. Now that she rejected him, it's kind of like now he's like, wait a minute, hold on. And he's like, well, where would we have even gone? And she's like, what? Like, no, I said I don't want to go out with you. He's like, no, I don't want to go out with you either. But like, where would we have gone? And she's like, I don't know, like probably for like a drink or something. And he uses that as like a way to kind of start mocking all the stories she told before about her grandfather going for drinks with Hemingway. This seems unnecessary. I don't understand why this conversation had to happen at all. This whole thing, like that, and we'll we'll touch on it in a minute. And totally inorganic. Like I don't like it. Also, you're in a sitcom in the 1990s in New York City. Where we go, uh, you'd go for dinner, you'd go for drinks, or you'd go for a movie. Those are the three options that happen in a New York sitcom in the 1990s. Like that's or coffee, yeah, or coffee. So yeah. I'll say this: I actually I don't mind this dialogue at all. I but I will admit that it doesn't need to happen or make much sense. But I don't like as far as the acting goes and their personalities, like I don't mind this, him spinning it around and now her wanting to go out with him. Oh, don't get me wrong. Their acting is great. Everybody in this is a, the cast of this is great. Everyone's a really good actor. It just seems superfluous. Yeah. But but as he's flipping it and like making fun of all these things she brought up before now it's, she's like, okay, that's it. Like you and me, we're going out. So I don't know, like if that was his plan the whole time or if it was just cause she rejected him or what, but Whatever. It also, you know, not to continuously call back other shows we've done, it was very that 80s show end scene. The, yeah. yeah. The clearly disliking each other on like a personal level, but maybe being kind of attracted to each other. Also dealing with the fact that neither of you actually like each other and that drives the both of you. And now they're going out for drinks. So. I find that most relationships are built based on spite, do really well with each, you know, long term. Yeah. But I can see like from both of their standpoints now. Because it's more like they're both coming at it from the same angle. Now they're going out because they don't want to be the one who is dumped. Not dumped because they never really dated, but you know what I mean? You don't want it to be out of your hands. You wanted it to be your decision to not hang out. But with the, the way the dialogue went, I think it would have made more sense. He was annoyed with her being a name dropper, but if he was more annoyed by maybe saying he doesn't believe her stories, it would have made a little more sense. Yeah, I can see that. That he would call her out on it. But the fact that like he's doing it now... There's never been any indication at any point that he doesn't believe these stories. Yeah. We cut back to Jonathan's place where Sam and his wife are like sprinting in right towards the end of the fight. But when they look over at the TV, Manny and the cable guy are just watching porn still. Sam yells to change the channel because he wants to catch the fight. But Trudy's excited because one of the people in the video is her chiropractor. Like, where are they like finding all this like porn with people from nearby? I do like the, the I'd like the call back to the joke. Yeah. And I like that it was like she wasn't, her character is very, like, she's, they don't have her be the naggy wife. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's not uptight. She's open. She's funny. The two of them are very much like a team at all times. And I, I like that dynamic and not being just the typical sitcom version of, like, the outsider in the group's wife. Yeah, they could have really written her as just, like, the woman who doesn't want to be there. And they didn't. They gave her, like, actual personality. They cut back to the fight by changing channels, I, I should say. And then suddenly the cable goes out and the cable guy who's there doesn't seem very phased or have any desire to fix it. That's the best part of it is he, Larry Miller's such a good cast casting choice because he's so good at the deadpan and the fact that he could fix it and clearly doesn't, but they don't have to say it or he's just like, oh, cable went out. Like, <laughs> you know, I didn't even think of that, that he was the cable guy and could have yeah. fixed it. Yeah, he's got all his tools. Together. He set it up. He could have just like stood up and probably known exactly what to do. It just doesn't. Unlock that box for permanent free pawn too. Yeah, that's a good friend to have right back then. You get the black box and the permanent uh, pay-per-view turned on. So here's where I have the most issue with this episode. Now we cut back outside to the bar they're heading to. 
which apparently had just burned down. It was like in the process of burning down because there's an explosion that happens. <laughs> yeah, and, like scene. all the firefighters are out there. So like just weird timing, right? They go to this random bar and it just caught fire right before they got there. And she's like in tears over the situation because she has all these big stories about her family that are linked to this bar. But I don't know why any of this needed to happen. <laughs> like, I don't know what this did for the story. My question is, does this girl have a recurring role? Like, does she become part of the show? Don't know. I don't know. Because if she does, this scene makes sense. They were trying to humanize her a little bit at this point, right? Because she's so insufferable, yeah. and now she's upset about something that meant a lot to her. So See, I, I didn't take it like that. I took it like she's been annoying, and they were trying to give her her comeuffin. Blueberry comeuffins? That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was, um, yeah. There was a few points in the show where I was just like, why? Why is this happening? But this was the biggest one. I was like, why? First of all, I don't know why these two people are still together at this point in the episode because they clearly do not like each other. And then, weird. and now they're at this place they don't need to be at that's exploding for some reason. And, and it was, it was all just a little too weird. It says that she's in twenty-two episodes of the show. So, oh, okay. okay. So there you go. So this now it makes way more doing. sense because she's going to be a character. You know, we sh we don't know this, right? So I guess you just saddled with assuming that that's the case. It's tough. I mean, that's the thing about any pilot, right? I mean, we're we're seeing what they're presenting to us and trying to make assumptions based on, again, clear slate. And shows like this are better for us sometimes than when we do shows that we know a little bit better because sometimes we know too much and it's tough to erase it. Whereas a show like this, we're all familiar with the show but don't know or remember anything about it. So you, these questions organically are coming up. I assume she was a one-off character. I'm actually very surprised by Me that. Me too. But this also makes me a little more intrigued to watch another episode of it, too. Again, I didn't hate this show. Like, it's an interesting premise. It's it, it feels the warm wheelhouse of these type of shows, right? So, like, but I also really like her in this. So that's, I think, more points. That changes up a little bit how I feel about the uh, Green Letter Cancel now. The next scene is Jonathan's back at Janine's house and telling her all about what happened with the fire and everything. And Janine's, like, wondering if she should continue to, like, try to match him up as much as she has been. And, like, Jonathan, like, does admit that he has some desires to be with somebody. You know, it's and it can be tough to meet people. Right around then is when Matt, her husband, comes in because the baby monitor is, like, making a weird noise. Or something's coming out of it that he can't identify. And apparently it's just the baby breathing. And uh, she tells him to turn the monitor down a little bit. And they kind of have, like, a little parenting moment together. And I guess this was just to show examples of, like, what life is like in that spot where Jonathan is on the outside and he's wondering what it is like. And cause she, she was telling him how wonderful it can be. And I think that's why they, I thought it was a weird way to, to have that moment between the two of them with the baby monitor thing. I think they accomplished a lot here because you do that. Everything that you just said, I think is for sure true, right? Like they do that. You also humanize Matt a little bit because Matt's yeah. going to be in the show more often. And I think you double humanize him because he's wearing. So when you first meet Matt, he's wearing a suit and tie. Yep. He's talking about his friend who's an editor at Time Magazine, right? So he seems like he's a pretty, like, sort of hoi polloi type of guy. And then he comes in, he's an idiot who doesn't know how to do the baby monitor, and he's wearing a shirt that's got a hole in it. Which immediately, to me, brings that dude down to, like, a way more realistic people-understand-him level, which I think yes. was a really smart move. Just that little bit of he's wearing a shirt with holes in it makes you like him more because it immediately doesn't make you think of him as, like, a stuffy guy anymore. So I think for, like, a two-second scene, that was a really, really good move. 
My question is, how did Jonathan end up back there? Wouldn't he have just gone home when he was leaving anyway to go home? He just happened to end up going, being with her? I think he probably went to go, like, rediscuss it with his best friend, who's Janine. I mean, sitcoms. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's that kind of stuff that comes along with those. He knew his house was safe because Ernest Borgnine was definitely still there. <laughs> he yeah. knew that there was no way he left. He is still there. He goes back and puts a blanket on him <laughs> later. Blanket on him. <laughs> with that scene, I think instead of having the whole baby monitor, I don't know how this worked things, maybe if he had just walked up to her and gave her a little update about the baby, like, oh, so-and-so is crying, but I did this. Baby's and, still breathing. And we're good. <laughs> and then, like, you know, just gave her, like, a kiss on the forehead and said, like, I'm going to bed. I think if they just had, like, a quick little moment that way, I think that would have better shown Jonathan, you know, like, what relationships can be. How old is this baby? I think we're to understand it's like a baby baby. Yeah, I think so. Because then it's then it's understanding. If you're new parents and you have the baby monitor, any little noise in there, I know from experience, you, you overreact because you're a new parent. Oh, no, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that that was like an issue. I just think that I don't think what they were trying to convey with that scene was so much about their parenting. And it's more about like life with somebody like having a significant other. Yeah. So I think they could have focused a little bit more that way, but. Can also, because I, I forgot that they had, uh, they actually had a baby, because they did mention it in like the middle of the episode, and then at the end they button it up with that baby monitor thing. Can you imagine being new parents and then having five people over for a dinner party? One of which is gonna throw up on your table. <laughs> yeah, the baby didn't make a single noise, so like it was just totally unbelievable because you know it's mayhem in a house that has a new baby, right? It there, there's shit everywhere, like literally and figuratively, I imagine. That kid was definitely playing with the farmhouse speak and spell and heard the, like, <laughs> earlier in the day. And then he definitely comes crawling out where he's like, Mommy, the piggy. But, yeah, then this lady's like, just, I'm going to cook for five people. I've got nothing better to do because I, I just, did, I don't know. It didn't track, really. Yeah, and the house isn't, like, a fucking chaos house like it would be. And they have also, we didn't bring this up, like, the worst, most ugly floral couch I've ever seen oh, in my entire God, life. Yeah. All like, in who fucking set dressed this? I don't believe like young people would have this couch. Janine's apartment was ugly. They're real bad. Every, everything set up is bad. We ought to baby eat some boy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, he had a baby. It's a boy. Mr. Gally Weekets. The next scene, we have Manny, uh, who's asleep on the couch in Jonathan's house. And Jonathan's like just trying to like throw a blanket over him so he can, you know, just rest on the couch. But it, it wakes him up, and they get to chatting for a little bit, and Manny tells him how that nice man George Foreman won the fight. Starts asking about his date and stuff like that. Jonathan asks Manny about how long he's been married, and he tells him it's been almost 50 years, and that he has 11 grandkids. And he asks him what the secret is, and he's like, well, I work nights, and heads out. I thought that was a nice scene. It, well, it was weird, because I thought Manny would be more comedic at all times, and that was like a normal scene from him, so... It sets him up, though, that you know he's going to be funny, but also be, like, the sage advice giver, too, right? yeah. which is, like, what you want for, like, the older sort of statesman in the show. Also, it's nice knowing that Jonathan won his 60 bucks, so he can use that to pay for the um, pay-per-view that he didn't get yes. to see. Yeah, so it, it all comes full circle. And then we have a little final scene, which is probably the next day or whatever, and it's Jonathan alone in his apartment when his answering machine goes off, and it's the girl from the train that was mentioned in the beginning. You know, she's essentially saying, like, oh, sorry, I was busy. There was a big fight. I don't know if you watched or knew about it, but my best friend is George Foreman's wife, and we're we're all going out to celebrate. So if you, you know, want to meet up with us, let me leave you my number. And then as, you know, she's about to deliver the number, the message cuts off. That was like the little button up to end the episode, which I thought was good. It, it kind of full circled everything. 
I think that's good, but if I remember correctly, and again, it's been a number of years since I've used a left a message in somebody's answering machine, I think you're notified when you're cut off. You, she might have been, but it didn't mean that she could do anything about it. But she would have called back and left another message. Oh, right. Like, if I called you and I was, if I was like, hey, Nick, call me back. My number is uh, 781. Boop. And I was like, you've been cut off. I'd call back and be like, hey, I got cut off. My number is. That's true. Maybe she was like, oh, I guess that's fate. I'm not supposed to this stranger that i don't know at all we also want to get that funny little sitcom like button to the episode yeah they could i guess they could have did something where she was giving the number but then something happened where she got distracted midway or a noise or something happens to mess up him being able to hear the whole thing yeah that was the conclusion of the episode also i want to mention too uh george Foreman's wife at this time was his fifth wife so in an episode about people getting married and staying together for a long time i don't know if he is the shining example to go out on a date <laughs> with this woman just because it came up when I did the search earlier, do you guys know who the couple of the year was in 1995? George Foreman and his wife? No. no. 1995. Trying to think of like, it, it was de- definitely a celebrity couple. Courtney Cox and David Arquette. Yes, no. Jennifer Aniston and... No. no who? Jay? Oh, uh, one sec. Let me try Courtney to... Cox and Jay. <laughs> when we, I say it, you're going to be like, oh, okay. You, we you're not thinking. You're not thinking mainstream enough for 95. So we need to we need to go more mainstream. Well, more mainstream for ninety five, like Brad Pitt and like all these people, like transcended ninety five. Think around just like the ninety five, ninety six, oh, specifically nineteen ninety five. Jose Canseco and Mrs. No. Canseco. Holly no. um, Shore and the girlfriend from Son in Law. <laughs> oh, I wish they no. were still together. I'm starting to blank. Yeah, I'm blanking. Cindy Crawford and Richard Gere. Wow. Yeah. American Gigolo himself. Uh, did you guys see that Pepsi Where's My Jet documentary, by the way? No, I want to watch it, though, because I remember that being a thing, like, back Me when too. it happened. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a high recommend to watch, but Cindy Crawford's in it because they're talking about, like, doing, like, the Cola War commercials or whatever. Yeah. But she makes some joke that you reminded me of because you're like, think of 1995 specifically, where she says something along the lines of, like, yeah, well, Pepsi and Coke were big things because we didn't realize we could drink water back then. <laughs> that is such a funny but fucking true statement. Like, 1995 yeah. was like, what do you have to drink? Be like, uh, it's Coke or Pepsi. Be like, yeah, I guess, right? Like, yep. this is before, like, water bottles and everything really kind of came in. I mean, there was cola, purple stuff, Sunny D. Yeah, all the right. sitcoms we watch, everybody's just drinking soda. Just cans of soda all just day long. Just cans of soda all day long, yeah. We've, uh, we've... Cover this pretty extensively at this point, so not much left to do other than a green letter cancel. Because we're a four-man, there's always a potential for a tie. If that were to happen, we'll ask Gordo what his vote is, and that will pop up on our Instagram. Again, S1E1Pod on Instagram. So give us a follow there, regardless of whether or not we tie, because we have a nice little Instagram you can follow, and we'll give you clips from this uh, from shows like this and all our other ones. So if you want to see faces as unkept as they may be at times, uh, you can go ahead and do that. So. To start off the Queen Letter Cancel, uh, I'm going to go in the order I see you. Joe, you are up. So I said earlier that I sort of meh this show, and I've been on the fence about it a little bit, right? Really, Because that could go very easily either way. It feels very New York-y. It feels more to me like Seinfeld, which I love, than Friends, which I don't love. But I do feel like I do want to see the next episode, so going on that criteria... There's a lot of funny jokes, and the idea that we get to watch Ernest Borgnine 21 more times is the most enticing thing in the world to me. So for me, this is a green light. Nick? Yeah, Joe kind of stole my thunder like verbatim with the first part of his green lighter cancel. I could go either way on this show, but uh, like he said, there is enough. It's just kind of like Ty goes to the runner here. Um, I did... I. I wouldn't say I'm dying to see another episode, which is why I'm on the fence about it, but I'm also like 
I'm not against watching another episode. And I I really like the cast. The cast like the cast was satisfying. I liked Jonathan Silverman. I liked the supporting cast around him. The story is a little too boilerplate for me. It just seems really unoriginal. So I hope that would change. But I at this point, I, I guess I am invested enough to just see where it goes at least a little bit more. So it's a green light. Ferg, I'm going to join the two of you on the, on the fence club. But unfortunately, um, last week's show got the last of my goodwill. So I'm going the other way on the fence. That's a cancel for me. I do love the cast. It's a great fucking cast. There's just too much with the writing of them saying one thing and doing another. And it just bothered me. I am a little tempted to watch another episode, but as of now, it just didn't do it for me. Jay. If we could find the other episodes. This one, by the way, was a YouTube grab. It's not very easy to find episodes of this show. I was going to say, I make this fight all the time, but like Peacock, you have your own streaming network. This was a show that lasted two seasons in the 90s at the height of must-see TV. Just put this on Peacock and people right. will watch it. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? You own it. Just put it up there. And if they don't watch it, it's not that big of a loss. You know what you I mean? You will lose like, nothing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, for me, it's also going to be a green light. Even though I picked it, I had no real memory of the show, including the cast or any situations. I just remember it. And like I said, I thought Jonathan Silverman was cool when I was a kid because I caught some of the show. And I assume that was because it was sandwiched in between two of the biggest shows of all time. So it was on the TV. But yeah, no, I, th- I thought this cast was awesome. And Ernest Borgnine is just, I love him so much. It was, It's like, I really want more of him in future episodes. But yeah, I mean, like everybody, you know, him, Sam, like everybody's just pretty on point with one another. Yeah, the, sh- the show definitely had its holes and most do. But for like typical 90s sitcom, to me, like the easiest to watch, like I can easily see myself sitting down and just getting lost and watching the entire first season, like without standing. Yeah, it's a green light for me. So regardless of Gordo's vote, it's going to be a green light from us because you already have three out of five. So congratulations Made to the single guy. Yeah, you, um, you've lived on for a second episode with us. So again, one more reminder, guys. Go to S1E1Pod.com. That's the links where everybody can listen to us. Please leave us some reviews, ratings, all that stuff. It helps us out because we would like more people to know about us. So um, those of you who listen, we are super appreciative. Like, let's bring more people into the fold and grow the family. But uh, yeah, hit us up, S1E1Pod, Twitter and Instagram. You can always reach out to us, shoot us a message, give us suggestions, shows you want to listen to. We listen to it. We always respond. So uh, go ahead and do that. But that's it, guys. That's all the time we have this week. Catch us again next week with another new episode. Thank you. Goodbye. I think we got the best novelty grill. <laughs>